2 Corinthians 3.18, I'll read this. I just want to encourage you in the quietness of your heart to behold this truth. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the same image of God as we are beholding him, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. God, I pray that just even in these few moments, as we are just quiet before you, just reflecting on you, God, that we would, in the quietness of our own heart, as even Mel asked and encouraged us at the very beginning, in the call to worship to focus on you, God, with the distractions of the morning and the week before us and the week behind us, God. Would you, by your spirit now in this room, in the quietness of our own hearts, remind us that you, as we look to you through your word, as we listen to you, that you are changing us from one degree of glory to another, God. Lord, all the ways that shame and accusations would cause us to think differently, Lord, in these few precious seconds, would you be preparing our hearts to hear from you this morning? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ev. Good morning again, Grace Hill. If you have a Bible, go ahead and let's open that up to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. I'm going to confess to you this morning that the scripture that we're going to, the scriptures that we're going to read. And the things that I want us to reflect on and think about from Scripture are very much things that God is convicting and working on in my own heart. And I'm learning to walk out, and it's not perfect. Um, and so I'm, I'm eager to, to share, but then join all of us as we seek to learn what it means to walk closely with Jesus. As you know, we've been in a sermon series called Formed. This is week six, so this 10-week series, we're back half now. And we're talking about this idea that God wants to form inside of us Christ-like character. And what does that look like? And I think when we think about character, we think about, okay, God wants to form something in us where we'll always do the right thing. You know, God wants to form goodness inside of us, right? That we do good things and we stop doing bad things, and that's certainly a part of it. But as we think about the kind of character that God wants to form in us, and we've really been using Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit as a guide or as a definition of the character that God wants to form in us, one of the things that God wants to form in you and in me is joy and contentment. And, and kind of this life where we can face any and all circumstances and, and not be aloof if they're hard, but just in the midst of them experience the joy of the Lord. And, and I really want to reflect on what, what does it mean that God wants to form something in us where our souls can be at rest no matter what's going on, good, bad, whatever it is in between. And I think we have a hard time 
experiencing the joy of the Lord in the present. I just think culturally, you know, we're very driven society. We're very future oriented and so goal oriented. I know that's me. Like I'm a very goal future oriented person. Like my journal is constantly filled with goals and new goals and sub goals and halfway to the goal goals. I just got, I'm always thinking about what's next, where I'm going, what I'm learning, what I'm trying to do next what I want to see in the future. So I think we have a hard time experiencing the joy of the Lord in the present because we just sometimes assume the joy of the Lord is actually in the future. And in many ways it is. We'll experience more and more joy of the Lord in the future, but it is something that God wants to form in us right now. So last year... um, I don't know if some of you know, so last year I became a part owner of a CrossFit gym. Um, I was a part of a gym for a while and an opportunity came to like join with some friends and, and buy this one. And so I did that. And anyway, last year I was, I remember I went on a prayer hike uh, up uh, over in uh, Shenandoah. I went on a prayer hike just to pray through this. Kind of asked the Lord, like, Lord, is this a good idea? What is your will for my life? Is this something that I should get myself involved in? And so I went on this prayer hike because for me, sometimes I, I do. I just, I need to get out of here and just go hike in some mountains. And that is, brings some clarity to my head and my soul and have a good time praying to the Lord. So I was, I was doing that. And that was the exact question I was asking God. God, show me your will. Yes or no. And I think many times when we think about God's will, or we pray for God's will, or we ask God for guidance, we kind of think about it like, okay, God, there's two doors before me. One door says buy it, the other door says don't, or, you know, fill in the blank. One door says take the job, the other door says don't. One door says get into that relationship, the other door says don't. Whatever it is, just all these decisions that might be before us. There's door A, there's door B. Door, one of the doors is God's will, And one of the doors is not God's will. I think we can think like this. One of the doors is good. Like, God, that's the door God wants us to walk through. And the other door is not good. God does not want us to walk through that door. And and we got to kind of figure out how to decipher the mystery, solve the riddle, discern what God's will is, and pick the right door. And so we go to God and we pray and we go, God, like, which one should I choose? Because I'm afraid that if I go through the wrong door, then bad things are going to happen in my life. And if I go through the right door, then that's blessing. And I want the blessing and not the bad. So God, I need you to help me understand what your will is for my life. Do you ever feel this with God? That's why I really appreciated Evan's sermon last week as he's been preaching through James and looking forward to the rest of that series as he preaches through James. But I was just so struck last week when he said, you know, there's so many times that we go to the Lord in prayer asking him for something and what we want from God is answers and what God is giving us is himself. And I remember on that prayer hike, as I was praying through this one particular decision in my life, I remember I I felt as if God was clear with me. 
not on one way or another. He wasn't audible. I just, I just kind of, as I prayed, there was an impression upon my heart that I was praying through, and I, I just felt like what the Lord was saying to me was, Alan, like, either way, man, pick one. You can go this way, that way. Neither of them are bad. Neither of them are, you know, sinful. But here's the deal. Whatever one you pick, just take me with you. Like, don't leave me here on this mountain that you're hiking. Don't, don't come to me here about the gym. Pray, God, which one is it? Door A, door B. And then leave with an answer, and that's it. Like, take me with you. Walk closely with me. No matter what you decide to do, whether you buy the gym or you don't buy the gym or whether you get into the relationship or not or take the job or not, just take me with you. And I feel like that's what God was, was saying to me. And I, and I want us to understand this morning that what it means to walk closely with Jesus, what it means to f- experience joy in the little moments of life means to understand that everywhere you go, God is with you. If you would open your Bibles to John 10, I want to read just a few scriptures. We're going to be all over the Bible this morning. But John chapter 10, verse 11 to 14, look what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jump to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In this chapter, Jesus is actually comparing himself with with the Pharisees. So, the Pharisees, Jewish religious leaders of the day, and, and in many ways, the people that God had called to shepherd the people of Israel, to teach them God's word, and to shepherd them into a close relationship with God. And Jesus is essentially saying, you're like these hired hands that have, don't care for the sheep at all. And so when it gets dangerous, you flee. And Jesus is saying, no, but, but I am the good shepherd. And we think about what does it mean to have a shepherd? What does a shepherd do? Well, a shepherd stays with his sheep. A shepherd protects his sheep. A, per, a shepherd leads his sheep wherever the sheep go. Whether it's dangerous or not dangerous, whether it's raining or sunny outside, the shepherd is there with the sheep at all times. And when I think it comes to following Jesus and deciphering the will of God in our lives, I think sometimes we have some very erroneous assumptions about God and his relationship with us. I think we often see God not as a shepherd to our souls, but as like the owner of the flock who's over in the house, aloof to what's going on with the sheep, detached from the sheep, and expecting that the sheep are going to do what they've been told to do. And if the sheep do what they've been told to do, then 
They're good sheep, and if the sheep don't do what they're told to do, well, then they are cast off. And I think sometimes that's how we see God. He's distant, he's aloof, and whenever big things happen in our life, or we need guidance, or we need help, or something is going wrong, then maybe we'll go to him, and we'll pray, and we'll ask for his help, and we'll ask for him to give us his will. And it's this idea that he's distant, we go to him for the answer, we go to him for the guidance, and then we leave his presence, and we come back to living our life. But that's not the picture that we get in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, the picture we get is that he is a shepherd who is with us and leads us along the way. And so this morning, the question that I want to answer for us this morning is, what does it mean, what does it look like to walk closely with Jesus daily in all moments of life? To understand that he is a shepherd that is with us at all times. Because this is so key to understanding the kind of joy that God wants to build inside of your life. And many times I think what we think when we think about walking closely with Jesus, we think about spiritual disciplines. Right? Yeah, walking closely with Jesus means making sure we're reading our Bibles in the morning and we're praying and we're going to church and, you know, we're, we're doing the various things we've been called to do. And, and Truly, yes, that is a massive part of it. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But I think sometimes we think of the spiritual disciplines almost kind of like a, like a lamp with a genie in it. And it's like, I need something from God, right? I need an answer. I need help. I need guidance. I need strength. I need something from God. So I'm going to go to God and I'm going to do my disciplines. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do the things I think I should do. And hopefully I'll rub the lamp right and the genie will come out and and provide me what I need in this moment. And so maybe he does and that's great. We put the lamp away and we leave and we do our thing. Or maybe we just get disillusioned with things like spiritual disciplines because it's like nothing ever happens. I never get an answer. I never seem to get guidance from God. I, I get bored reading the word and I, I fall asleep when I'm trying to pray. I, I just feel like it's not working. What does it mean to walk closely with Jesus? That's what I want us to explore this morning, to see him as a shepherd who goes along with us and allows us to have joy and contentment in any circumstance. So I have three truths about our relationship with Jesus we're gonna walk through together this morning. So let's just jump right in. Here's the first one. Three truths about our relationship with Jesus. Number one is this. We primarily hear God's voice in the mundane, not the extraordinary. We primarily hear God's voice in the mundane, not the extraordinary. Or think about it this way. We primarily hear God's voice in the little moments of life, not in the big moments of life. I think sometimes when we're looking for God's presence, we're trying to discern God's will in our life, we look for the extraordinary. God, make it clear. Give it to me in a dream. Maybe someone will come and and provide me a dramatic, prophetic word. Uh, uh, Create this coincidence that could only be God, a, a, a conglomeration of circumstances that make it so clear what God is calling me to do. I think we we look for these extraordinary moments as that's what God's voice sounds like. 
And here's the deal. God can speak to us in all of those ways. And he does speak to us in all of those ways. But I think we primarily hear God's voice actually in the little moments, the mundane parts of life, not the big and extraordinary. And I think we look so much for the extraordinary that we miss his voice in the mundane, in the little moments of life. Uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read a couple of verses. Um, so in, in 1 Kings 18, this is the story of Elijah at Mount Carmel, right? And so Elijah is a prophet to the kingdom of Israel, and a King Ahab is on the throne. He's a bad king. There's a drought in the land. And uh, King Ahab led all of Israel to worship Baal. So just a false god. So there's all these prophets of Baal. And so Elijah is going to get rid of these prophets of Baal, these false worship. And so this is, you know, the classic setting where Elijah says, hey, here's what we're going to do. He goes to the prophets of Baal. He says, you build an altar, and I'll build an altar. And we will both call to our God uh, to bring fire down from heaven, and may the best God win, right? And so they do this in 1 Kings 18, and so, of course, the prophets of Baal call to their God. It's a false God. Nothing happens. He's not there. So no fire comes to heaven, and then Elijah obviously calls to the God of the Bible, and fire comes down and consumes the altar. This extraordinary act of God. Like, clearly, boom, there's God. Like, you would imagine, if I were there and I witnessed this, like, one God, another God. They prayed, nothing happened. That guy prayed, fire came down. You'd be like, my faith struggles are over. That's it. I will never unbelieve again. Like, I will always have this perfect faith in God. And what's fascinating is so after this moment, Jezebel, so King Ahab's wife, writes to Elijah, sends word somehow and says, I'm going to kill you for this. And Elijah flees. He panics. He's full of anxiety. He's afraid for his life, which is fascinating because you're like, you just witnessed this like extraordinary act of God, this miraculous event, and yet you're still fearful of your life. And so 1 Kings 19, I want you to read. So this is right after that moment. Uh, let's read um, verses 9 to 14. So Elijah's running away, fear, fearful of his life. Verse 9, there Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. He's like, I'm the only guy left that follows you, and they're trying to kill me. Verse 11, and he said, this is God, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. I love this. And when Elijah heard it, oh, oh, that's God. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave 
And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And we'll just stop it right there. But in this moment, right, you have Elijah. He's afraid. He needs God's help. And it's this weird scene where God sends these like huge, extraordinary, you know, acts of nature, fire, earthquake, wind, rocks crashing. And every time Elijah's like, nope, Lord's not there. Nope, nope. Then he hears the low whisper. How did Elijah know that was God? How did Elijah know that the low whisper, hey, that's the voice of the Lord. I'm going to go and listen. And the only conclusion that I can come to is that Elijah had a relationship with the Lord that wasn't just going from extraordinary event to extraordinary event. It wasn't just the calling fire down from heaven or sending grizzly bears after some kids, right? It was literally in the little moments of life, mundane. That actually, I would assume that Elijah's relationship with the Lord was very rarely the extraordinary And very commonly, the daily communion with God. He knew the voice of God. And the question that I have for us is, how do we know the voice of God? And I think the first thing we have to understand is that God cares about the little moments of your life, the everyday mundane moments of your life, your commute, waking up in the morning, your Cheerios, getting to work, how you greet your kids. I mean, just the mundane little moments of life that God is there. He hasn't left his post as your shepherd and he cares about those moments. And he's not just in the big moments, the big decisions, the big sins that you commit. It's like he shows up to condemn. No, he's with you at all times. And I think in understanding that God cares about the little moments, what happens is is we begin to understand what his voice actually sounds like. What does it mean to be cared for by our good shepherd? And I think one of the things that we develop as we understand that God cares about the little moments is it begins to transform how we approach the spiritual disciplines. The spiritual disciplines no longer become this kind of genie in a lamp, something that I go to to get something back from the Lord. It's an avenue through which I commune with God. And and I think we need a regular regimen of doing this in solitude and in community. So think of solitude and community as these kind of big overarching categories to which the regular spiritual disciplines come under. So I think we need to read the Bible in solitude and in community. I think we need to pray in solitude and community. I think we need to worship in solitude and community and all of these. But solitude, right, it kind of looks like going to the Lord and and reading his word and spilling out your heart to him, exactly like Elijah just did. God's like, Elijah, what's going on? Elijah's like, they want to kill me. I'm afraid, God. And so I think it's going to the Lord, whether it's journaling or prayer hiking or whatever you want to do or just in your room. It's just spilling your heart out to God, saying, God, here's where I'm at. I need you in this moment. Or God, it's another mundane day. I'm just going to pray through my day. And so we do have that communion with the Lord. But then I also think we need to do the exact same thing in community. 
right? So in the same way, they would go to the Lord and be like, Lord, here's what I'm struggling with. I'd go to my brothers and sisters in Christ and say, brothers and sisters, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm praying through. Here's what the Lord's doing in my life. Here are my questions. Here's what's been going on in my week. And we actually share these things with each other, encourage each other in God's word. And here's why we need both. Because if I am just doing this in solitude, then sometimes it's going to be hard to, conf- it's going to we're going to confuse what is my voice and what is his voice. So we go to our community and they help us discern that. Or sometimes if we just do it in community and we never have time in solitude with the Lord, sometimes it's hard and we confuse what is God's voice and what is just everybody else's voice. And so when we can get alone with the Lord and we can pray and we can journal and we can talk and we can wrestle with the Lord, it, it helps us to understand his voice. And I think for many of us, we prefer one. Right? We, we prefer, maybe you're just a personality, more of an introvert, and you're like, hey, I like the solitude. I have that locked down. I've got my prayer books and my journals and like a stack like this. And I just love to get in a cup of coffee, blanket, couch. I love that. Definitely not sharing what's going on in that time with my brothers and sisters, though. Or some of you might be in that where you're like, man, I love being with people. I like to share everything that's going on. You know what I mean? I am an open book, but you never carve out time just to be alone in silence with the Lord. And I think we need both because it trains us to understand that God cares about the little moments of our life, that he is in the mundane, not just the extraordinary. And so this helps build in us this habit as a person who walks with Jesus in the little moments of daily life and not just go to the Lord in the big moments of our life. So that's the first truth. We primarily, I think, hear God's voice in the mundane of life and not the extraordinary. Here's the second truth about our relationship with Jesus is that joy is not found in worldly gain, but in God. In other words, to take off our first truth, joy can be found in the little moments of life because God is in the little moments of life with us. It's actually not found in worldly gain. So go in your Bible with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 33. Um, Fascinating interaction that Moses has with God This is right after the golden calf incident, right? So Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's getting the law from God. And all of the people down at the base of the mountain basically go, God's forgotten us. Moses has forgotten us. Let's melt all our earrings down, make a calf and worship that, right? And of course, that uh, wasn't too thrilling to God. And so God goes down uh, to, goes to Moses, says, hey, you need to go take care of your people. They've gone crazy down there. And so Moses comes, and then God, in his anger over this incident, um, look at what he says to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, and then I want you to see Moses' response. Exodus 33, I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the uh, Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. 
lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. So real quick, before we hit Moses' response, what happened here is the people of Israel are on their way to the promised land. This land flowing with milk and honey that has been promised to God's people, right? And so people are looking forward to that. It's a land of prosperity and it's going to be secure and all of these things. And so, yes, there's so much excitement for this. And God basically says, listen, you've rejected me. And here's the deal. I'll give you what your heart desires. I will lead the way. I will send an angel. He will clear out all the enemies that will get in your way. You can have that land. I'm just not going with you. And look at what Moses says, verse 15. Moses said to him, to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. And Moses stands before God and he says, if you won't go, then we don't want your promised land. You know, for many of us, I think we have a promised land in mind, something in our future that we look forward to, something that we hope is in God's will for our life. And it's kind of like the promised land. It's, it's the place that we're convinced that once I reach it, I, I'll build a rest. You know, maybe that's a financial goal for you. Maybe that's a, a house for you. Maybe that's something, a relation. I don't know, just something where you go, man, that's what I'm looking for, looking to. And once I'm there, my soul will, will rest. You know, it's like, I, I felt like I wrestled with this last weekend. Last weekend, my, we were out of town. We weren't here. We were in North Carolina uh, visiting uh, some good friends of ours. And, you know, they live on a house on a bunch of land. And I've always wanted a house with a bunch of land country and it's just you know the air is crisp and the kids are running around and they have a pond and they're just fishing and catching fish like crazy and it's just like this peaceful and I've just found my heart wrestling like this is what this is what I want like I want to move towards this what do I need to do financially to get into this direction how, how do I go because it's when I have something like this my heart will will rest this will be good and it's not like it's wrong to have something like that. I still want it, right? But I was struck with this question as I was studying this week in Exodus chapter 33. If God said, Alan, you can have it. I'll let you have it. The whole thing. Free of charge. You'll have no mortgage, no taxes. Right? Big tractor. Nice stocked pond. I'll give you the entire thing. You just won't have me. Which one do you want? No, God's not offering me that deal, and he wouldn't do that. But it made me think, what, what does my heart believe? Where does my heart believe joy is found? Is it found in the daily walking with my good shepherd? Or is it found there, wherever there is? And Moses recognized it and said, I, I'm not taking that deal. We won't go unless God, you Go with us. And here's what God is, is trying to build in us through shepherding our souls and, and bringing us close to Himself. He's trying to show us that the promised land is anywhere He is. The promised land is actually can be found in every little mundane moment of your life because God is found in every little mundane moment 
of your life. See, the gospel, it's not just about Jesus saving us from our sin and and wiping our slate clean and and making sure that we're not going to be punished by him. No, the gospel doesn't just save us from something. It saves us to God. It gives us a relationship with God, the maker of our souls, the one who truly can give our souls rest. And the kind of character that God is trying to build in us is a character where we can learn to be content in all circumstances because joy can be found in every little moment of life because God is found in every little moment of life. That leads to our third truth. Third truth that we find here in our relationship with Jesus is that the will of God is not a mystery of the future, but a reality in the present. Oh, this is a tough one. The will of God, it's not a mystery of the future. Like, what is it, God? When are you going to unveil it for me? No, it's a, it's a reality in the present. Like, what if I told you that where you are right now, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstance is, good, middle, bad, whatever it is, you are smack dab in the middle of God's will for your life. And I know for some of us, we're like, I feel that. Life is good right now. Praise God. Like, I feel I'm, I'm right aligned in God's will, and I praise God for that. And maybe you're in a hard circumstance, and you're going, what? I'm in God's will. for. I don't want what's going on in my life right now to be God's will. You know, just a couple of months ago, we were studying First Thessalonians together. And in chapter 5, this is exactly what Paul says to us. Like, read this with me. It's on the screen. I'll just read it off the screen. Read 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, verse 6. You can pop it up there. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Like, the, the will of God for you in Christ Jesus is in every little mundane moment of your life, understanding that there is something to rejoice in. You have a shepherd that you can pray to without ceasing and you can give thanks that he has secured your soul in every moment of life. This is God's will for you. And I think this can be really hard for us to understand because we kind of have crafted this idea of God's will as this kind of extraordinary plan that he's unfolding for our lives. And God has plans for our life, no doubt. But he does have a plan for the present right now, for this reality. And I think it's so important for us to know that we're in the will of God right now because if we don't recognize that, then we're gonna miss joy that he has for us in these moments. Like if you're in a good place right now, your life is good, not a lot of stress, just enjoying it, like that's amazing. And I'm, and I'm so encouraged for you. And in this moment, that is God's will for you. And he has something for you in it something he wants to grow you in, something that he wants to use you as a minister of the gospel for other people, something that he wants to do for his glory. And so if you, in this good moment, don't recognize, man, in all the goodness of right now, God, how can I serve you? Then you're gonna miss something extraordinary that God has for you in the little moment. Or if you're in a place right now where things are just really, really hard, and you're like, I can't wait to get out of this season. I don't think I can survive this season of my life. 
It can be hard to hear that this is God's will for you, but it can also be comforting in this way that God as your shepherd, Jesus as your shepherd, is with you in this moment. He's not leaving. He's not aloof to what's going on in this moment. And he does have joy for you in this very moment. And it's going to require you trusting that he will lead you as your shepherd into it. Go to him in solitude, wrestle, pour your heart out to him. Go to your community group or your community or your brothers and sisters, pour your heart out. Let, learn to listen for the voice of God in the midst of this season and allow him to shepherd you into joy in what is a hard season. This is how we learn how to find joy in all circumstances. We primarily hear God's voice in the mundane, the little moments of life, not the extraordinary. Joy is not found in worldly gain, but in God himself, because he's here. And the will of God is not a mystery of the future, but it is a reality of this present. We are in his will right now. And what I wanna invite us into, Grace Hill, is a life of walking closely with Jesus, because he is our shepherd. Not a, not a spiritual regimen of, of trying to get the genie out of the lamp, but a relationship with our good shepherd because his mercies are new every morning and he will never abandon you. And so here's my encouragement. You're going, okay, Alan, I mean, sounds good, but, but what's next in this? So here's my encouragement. In your bulletins, we gave you uh, reflection questions like we've been doing this entire sermon series. I really encourage you. Like, engage this. Like, sermons are 30 minutes. Okay, 40, 40. All right? They're 40 minutes. And so we're gonna, you're going to forget 80% of this stuff. I forget 80% of what I say when I walk out of this door. So, so what we want to do in this moment is go, okay, what am I taking away from this? Well, here's what I'm taking away. That Jesus is a good shepherd, and he wants to shepherd my soul to joy. And he wants to walk closely with me in every moment of my life, not just in the big moments. And so here's my encouragement to you is take those reflection questions. Go find a place to sit in solitude, okay? Wherever that's gonna be good for you, carve it out, all right? If you're married, figure out how you're gonna get that done for each other, okay? And sit with those questions and just journal on them, write them out. And then I encourage you to take that to a trusted friend, brothers and sisters, your community group, whoever you want, and just say, I want to share this with you. Because let's together learn how to hear the voice of the Lord and walk closely with Jesus because he promises us joy in every circumstance. That's an amazing promise that's really hard for us to believe. But I want to invite all of us into a life of taking God on that promise and walking closely with Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm, I'm very aware that for many of us, this doesn't seem like a realistic promise. It doesn't seem like it's as good as we just reflected on. This idea that joy can be found in every circumstance. 
And God, we know that we are going to face circumstances that are happy and good and encouraging and uplifting. And we're going to face circumstances that are hard and grief-stricken and stressful. And Lord, we know that you're not promising to protect us from any of those emotions, but you are saying in the midst of all of it, there can be joy because we have a shepherd who will never abandon us. We have a shepherd who will even give his own life so that we will never be lost. And God, I just pray as a church community that we would believe this, that we would lean into this and that we would look for you in all of the little moments of our life. And we would learn, God, that there is a joy that can be found in your presence with us in every moment that's far greater than any joy that, that this world could bring us or any promised land that we're looking forward to. So I just pray for us as a church community that we would be people who want to encourage each other in the will of God as we are living in it right now, that we'd be people who are faithful to the things that you are calling us to in this moment. Help us to be a people who commune with you together and encourage each other and exhort each other and learn that it is impossible to follow you alone. We can't do it. We need each other. And God, I just pray we would be a community that walks closely with Jesus in every moment of our life. We love you, Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.